The Sports Career Podcast, episode 277. How can football improve human rights on and off the football pitch? Sports Achiever and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always my goal each week is to provide you a person who can inspire and encourage you to be the best version of yourself in what you do in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in the football industry. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now before I talk about this week's podcast special guest, if you enjoy listening to the show please leave an honest review. It makes such a difference with regards to the growth of the show. But most importantly, I would appreciate if you leave an honest review because I want to improve the show too. So if you wouldn't mind going to education to sport forward slash review, and I am grateful for your support every week. Keep being awesome. Thank you. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's podcast special guest is Kalida Papal. Khalida has such an inspiring sports career journey. She is the Afghanistan Women National Team Captain and also the founder and CEO of Girl Power, which specialises in sport for inclusion and empowerment. So for that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Khalida as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Khalida will share her football career journey and explain to you how football can improve human rights on and off the football pitch. Khalida, it's such a privilege to have you on the podcast show. Please share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Thank you so much for inviting me. My journey started from a very young age. I come from Afghanistan, the country where football is one of the very first game and it's quite popular, and especially street football was quite known in that country. So one of the social activities that every child somehow plays or involved. So that's what I also did. Uh, it's not a fancy game. You don't need to have a lot of money or you don't need to kind of belong to any kind of class in the, in the, in the society to be able to play that game or have access to that game. All you need is put two stones as a goal and have like something like a ball and start kicking. Um, that's that's I, I, how I started um, with my brothers for a period uh, until I was no more allowed to continue playing with the boys. Firstly, I started that way as well. It was two like jumpers and a football and we just played. Um, so I connect with that. And I think that's so important because we look at the elite side, but actually just to participate, it is really that simple and the power. I now want to paint the picture a bit more. So I would love to really dig deep of how you became the Afghanistan women's captain. So you said you played with your brothers, but when was the decision when I want to carry on this journey? Because I'm very curious, but I think it's also important that it isn't easy said than done with regards to the culture of football, if that makes sense. So I'd love you just to paint the picture if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, well, 
like I continued like playing with the boys. And even I was when I was pushed and forced to not play, continue playing football with the boys. Of course, they were my teammates and I enjoyed the moments with them without thinking that I'm a girl, I belong to different gender or belong to different box. When there was push from the society, I, in order to, to continue playing football, I, I went undercover. I changed my uniform. Like I had to kind of like change a little bit my outfit. It had extra jersey, extra size jersey, had the cup on and changed my team to be able to continue playing football. Um, so kind of like pretended that I was a boy um, and also kind of only managed to talk with the coach uh, and, and made a plan with the coach that he will try his best to kind of hide my identity so I can play football. That means like I was, um, I had to not uh, speak uh, and not to kind of like to order to keep my voice <laughs> Um and also get like pretend that I am not able to speak. Um, <laughs> so um, so I was like just playing football. I was just showing my hands, hoping that someone will in my team will say and pass me the ball. When there was like a moment that we scored the goal, I was like doing like this without like raising my voice, speaking to make sure that I hide my identity so they don't find out that I'm a girl. Uh, but it like it continued for a period. Um, I then one of the boys in the team was curious, so he followed me to find out who I am, why I'm not speaking, why I'm leaving, like coming a little bit late than everybody else, why I'm leaving earlier, earlier. So to kind of like to prevent uh, like from speaking with people or trying to avoid people coming to my. Uh, so he was curious, he followed me and, and he found out that I am changing <laughs> my, uh, my outfit and I am actually a girl. So that's how it was exposed. Um, and then I went to, to school and I said, no matter what, like I, I will continue playing football. The, the society and, and the neighborhood, the community cannot just decide for me. I cannot wait and let the people to decide for me, I have my life and I want to be the boss of my life. I want to be the in charge of my life. When my mom and dad is not having any problem with that, why the neighbors, why the society, why the community is deciding over my life and tell me that I belong to kitchen, I have to go help my mom in the kitchen or I have to do certain things that the girls are doing. And I love going to the kitchen when there is a food. I love going to kitchen when I know that there is something in the fridge so I can open it and eat. And that's, I love food, but that doesn't mean that I am a woman. I have to be in the kitchen because I have to make food. Um, I don't like making food. <laughs> and that's the reality of every human being. There are some men who really loves cooking. My brother loves cooking. And that's not the problem. It shouldn't be a taboo that because he is a man, he shouldn't be in the kitchen. And I, because I'm a woman, I, I belong to kitchen. That's what I wanted to change. And when I started like uh, going back to school, did a campaign, a few campaigns uh, in, in, in our own school where, where my mom was my teacher, um, got support of my mom and some other girls. And, and from there, uh, we started having the girls team. We were playing football. And we were attacked um, by a group of men from outside the school. 
physically attacked. And uh, once again, we were told that we, we belong to kitchen and we shouldn't not play football. We cannot walk pro properly. How can we play football? So that's where kind of the moment that hit us really hard because this time it wasn't like actually the boys team that I was playing. It was a girls team and, uh, and it was in girls school. And we were playing indoor, like in the school, girls' school. So there was no reason for them to attack us. Um, so that's where I found out, like in an early age, I was like, okay, this problem is much bigger than, than the problem of me thinking, okay, I want to play with the boys or why they are not there. It's much bigger than myself. And that's the society, the problem in the society. I have choices, like I have a choice to go back to, to my, my parents. It's like my safe zone, a safe bubble, where I have all the protection and whatever I want, they provide me. Or I will go and fight. And of course, fighting and making a change have a lot of um, sacrifices. It has, it has so many things. Um, it is not easy. And the journey itself, it's... Uh, you fail down so many times. It's like football. When you start playing football, the ball hurt your feet and, and you get like sore all your, over your body. It hurts, but it's a journey. If, if we don't take a stand and if we don't want to change, who will change? And how can we make sure that the next generation will not fight for this? And all the time I, I was thinking like someone, someone, in this world, everything that has happened and today we have access to is because someone has fought for it. Someone really, really tried the best to make the change. And of course, human beings are not here, always open-minded to changes. Uh, and that's what I say, like, okay, I'm not going to give up. So we started like the movement from through football, uh, from schools, different schools, local schools and we created the first league where it was it was very much like a, a movement of activism using football as a as a means to to standing for our right as a woman and standing as a unit and raising awareness but also changing the picture of the society where it says like only one population can rule and, and, and be the leader and half of the population should be just punished and, and stay in, in the kitchen or at home. We wanted to change that picture. We wanted to make spaces for women and girls. So football was a, a, a tool or platform for us, a very strong platform because it was known as a man's game. And um, we, we really fought hard. It was not easy. Um, when the league established, uh, Back in 2007, um, where we were also kind of pushing the Football Federation um, to recognize the league, but also send some of their delegation. So we had, we knew who are the best players on, in the league. We Everything, we did it. So we, we just wanted the Football Federation to put the stamp and recognize and take all the credit, but just give us the recognition. Uh, the first uh, few times that, we requested, they rejected, they said, like, women will bring embarrassment. And 
in and and like we don't want to be embarrassed it's against the honor of the man it's against the honor of the country all these things so we were pushing and what we did was uh, not we didn't go to the federation to argue with the man saying that it's it's, it's our equal right we have to have access because we knew that we will we will lose the minute we start about gender um, gender fight or gender equality we will lose that so we had to be smart on that time and and we had to come with an argument start a stronger argument so he accept and that was like listen if we do everything and don't ask you for money for the budget we do everything all the work from the budget to to the events itself to everything we will do it all you need all we asking is the recognition end of the day you take the credit we take the recognition so it was a win-win and of course he wanted to have and also but we also i argued which was very funny we say like you look actually quite cool because you are the man like and we have international community in our country and if you have women's football and and recognize women's football you were like there will be a lot of media attention and they will talk a lot about you and they will give you a lot of credit for giving access to women women football so of course he liked that and he bought, bought in and and that's how we got the recognition we traveled outside afghanistan represented the national team of afghanistan that was the most beautiful journey we had especially um earning the jersey uh and and having the badge on our chest it was the best feeling because it was like a winning it we we even we it was the start of the league but we felt like we felt like we won the league we won the cup because the, our fight was much more than football we never actually we never focused on developing our skills or talent in football we were not good at all in football we were just like playing the game for for the using for the power it had and of course most of the time our uh, coaches were of course not good and the coaches who joined our team their motivation was oh we will go outside afghanistan we will do shopping and i will like bring a, like i will buy i will do a lot of shopping for my wife and a lot of gifts so that was our coach's motivation but we wanted the coach so he was on on board with us um we were doing everything possible to make sure to at least perform on the pitch but also also kind of get the recognition for um for our women's football but but really changed the picture of of the world how the world saw women of afghanistan back then during the taliban the first time a uh, woman under the cover under the burqa being beaten by taliban um being helpless we wanted to change and say like this is the new generation of afghanistan and the new afghanistan the new women of afghanistan who is equally participating in society to build the country the culture but also the hope for the future generations and we really really work hard um everything was fantastic of course the more recognition the more risk we had towards our life because it was built on the foundation of activism the foundation itself was built on activism and 
we were talking more about our activism and advocacy. We were advocating for human rights in our country to our platform than talking about football. And that's how it comes. It was very political from very beginning. And, and that was a lot of threats towards our lives and, and a lot of risk um, that we faced as a team, uh, our teammates, our, our, our coaches even, who are involved. Um, but we continued our journey. We kept fighting to, to develop women's football. So many women and girls joined our team. Um, women got uh, the opportunity to work in football federation um, and also got the education in as a coaches, as a referees. And, and so many grassroots in it, initiatives started in Afghanistan, which was fantastic. Wow, oh, I'm pretty speechless. Okay, I've got to decode this just a little bit. I'm already blown away that you had to change your identity to just play a sport. There's one thing. Secondly, I love cooking, by the way. It's for me as a way of <laughs> switching off and it's a way of creating something. I had to share that with you because you're smiling now. And, and I think it's important to change the narrative, which is your other key point of really let the football do the talking. But I just need to go back in a little bit of time with regards to when you had to change your identity. Like looking back, how wrong is it that as a child, we have like that was happening then? Because when I played sport, I had access to different sports and just had that freedom. And I want to dig deep on this conversation because I think we all have that self-identity we want to be and be who we are. So I would love your thoughts of looking back, how vital it is that we've broken, you've broken that barrier, not we meaning talking about, I mean you, because that what saddens me that you couldn't just be you at that present moment. You had to be somebody else. So I know it's a big, long-winded question, but I think it's important with career development that being you is vital to show your best potential, whatever it is. But just looking back, what did you learn from that experience and how grateful are you now that this can change? Like you said, changing that story because sports for all, and I know it's a key phrase and it's overused that phrase, but really it is let the football do the talking, not us talking. So I just want to go back in time a little bit because I, I think this is important from an, why self-identity is important. I think it's uh, especially like what happened to me and which is also, it's quite like what is happening in, in, in the world, it, it, especially when it comes to women and girls, young, young, um, young girls. It's a lot of people who give themselves so much right to make decisions over a woman's life, a life of a girl, child. It's kind of like a lot of, sometimes it, it comes with so much love and protection. Sometimes it's like, it's, it's the fear of like, okay, now women will get the power. And in, it's something like, and even in a very well-developed de well countries, we see these type of like challenges that how how much pressure there is for for a girl or for a young woman that they have to deal with it just because they love football they love equally the love is so equal the love of a boy for a game the, the love of a girl for a game it's so equal it's just the emotions it's the love the passion for the game that brings people to play football but when it comes to one gender there is a lot of it comes, for example, when it comes from the people that 
like for the families, they are trying so hard to protect their daughter or protect their sister, saying, okay, this is man's game. It's like tough game. You will get injured. It's just like trying to kind of too protect, too protective. That it, it hurts the self-confidence of that young girl. But then also the society give themselves so much right that to decide for a young girl on the pitch what to do. Like where does confidence come that they decide for a woman? For a young boy, they cannot decide. They, the young boy have so much confidence that they turn their face and say, this is my job. None of your business. And, and when it comes to a young girl, there is a lot of pressure from the family, from the society that play a role that the women and the young girl should always be kind of protective and worry because a lot of expectations that maybe she will hurt herself. Oh, be careful. And for the boys, they say, oh, that's a boy thing. Like if a boy jump out there and do something, it's a boy thing. They allow the boys to be the boys. But then when it comes to the women, they're like the girls, they try everything possible to put them and control them and put a lot of expectations for them. I want to jump in here because I, yesterday, Kalina, I heard a great quote from a guy called Bob Proctor about culture. And he said, all culture is are just ideas and beliefs that people believe in over a period of time. Right. So each generation have the same ideas and same brought up. And it, you know, compounds that when before wherever you're born in the world, in that particular country, there's just these beliefs and these ideas that that environment are collectively believing, right? So I was he was decoding this. I'm like, oh, that's a really good point. It's just how we think of that idea and belief. So my question to you is then, why is it so important to look at the positives of women's football, to play football, the new life skills they develop, the new confidence they de develop as people? Is that the way we should look at it? then it's always a battle because going back to Bob Proctor, if you put positive thoughts lead to positive actions and actions into positive results. So I'm decoding this on a human being level, but I just sat here listening to you. If we just put in new positive thoughts of football, let's be honest, there's always negatives in football or bigger picture, by the way, but in regards to somebody playing the sport, even myself, sport for me was a tool to express other skills that I couldn't do in a classroom. So that was my learning environment was a sports field. So I just want to bring that back to you. Is that the strategy should we say is let's focus on the positive elements of playing football that can benefit a boy and girl development, then always battling to, like you said, that expectation all the time. I'm going big here. I hope you don't mind because I think, for me, we get to the real point of equality in football, but actually, like, it's all about personal development, really thinking bigger and looking ahead. Yeah, we always like what, what the, like the football itself, it's as I started, it's, it's the most beautiful thing. It's the joy of the game, the moments in the game, the love and passion brings people, no matter which gender you are that passion and love brings people and what like the positive side is that that passion and love and the moments in the game it helps people to develop it helps people to gain self-confidence for example for me it really helped and changed my life and changed the life of my girls because 
in football, I had a position. I had the ownership of that position. I had the responsibility. When you, as a player, enter the pitch, you that gives you the ownership, the leadership, the self, the self-esteem and self-confidence to stand and call for the ball. Try to show yourself. Try to play with your team. That that game itself it helps you to develop and grow and and make decisions. Work under the pressure. A lot of things um, that it's it helps with the personal development, and it can be used. The football itself, the soul of a fo- of football, is the the love and passion and unity. It helps the communities if we don't think about the gender and let the people to go for the love and passion. It helps the communities. It helped me to grow as a human being, become a natural way of leader. And, and help so many women and girls to get access um, to sports, to gain self-confidence, but also practice and be healthy as a human being, but also um, gain a career in sports. Uh, and, and the network itself, which is fantastic and amazing, it helped me when my life was in a great danger back in Afghanistan. It helped and saved my life, the network football. It helped to save lives of my girls back in 2021 when they, the country fell in the hand of Taliban. It helped when we made the pledges, we asked for help. The community, the football community came together, showed the leadership and, and helped those footballers. Today, they are experiencing freedom. They are going back on the pitch and they are practicing their basic human rights that's that's the beauty of the game the leadership the unity the things that brings to people and to the communities look we're going to talk about what happened in 2021 i'm going to share my story of my perspective very shortly but you talk about practice there i want to talk about you being the captain of the team because how was that you being a captain just playing a football game supported you meaning practicing as a leader when it really mattered. I'm putting you on the spot now a little bit. When I said really mattered, I mean that incident in 2021. We'll talk about detail, but I just want to talk about how you developed as a captain, which elevated your decision-making and leadership skills. I'd like to to reflect what you learned the most being a leader on the football pitch. It is the sense of responsibility, um, standing for something greater than myself. Uh, standing beyond like what I think or what is um, learning and also developing and understanding at the same time in the moments to how to take decisions because in football you take decisions under pressure that's how it helped me to decide okay where I can activate um, my, my community my network how I can when I can actually use my mentorship or leadership to my girls to keep them together. For example, when they were three to four days stuck at the airport, they, we were trying to get them out and they were they were under attack and they were stuck there. And, and all, most of them, they, they fainted because they had no water and no food. And they stood for many hours and, and they were beaten and, and faced violence. The only thing that 
I didn't know how to rescue it. That's not my job or I, I have no experience rescuing people. But um, what I tried to, to kind of use the help and support from was the, the coaching in football, which I learned from one of the, our coaches, Kay Lindsay, who was the coach and used a lot of strong words how to bring the team united, but also before every game we had to get, get the team really stand together and go with the passion on the pitch. So I was trying all those skills that I learned in football. I was telling them, listen, we are going to make this happen. This is a game um, and, we, and we are going to be the winner of this game. We are going to winner of this tournament. We are like our, our goal is to win the cup. It is tough. We are tired. We are, we are so tired. We are about to give up, but we are not giving up because we have won so many games in the, in the tournament. We are going to win the cup and the cup is to get out, get ourselves to the gate of the airport and, and like, and go across the, the crowd and go get ourselves to the, to the plane that was evacuating the team. They were like how that's what like the terms and terminology of football I use because I didn't know what to say to the people down there when their lives were in danger. They were there was gunshots everywhere and I could hear it. People shooting and and they were beaten and they were crying and they were young girls between 16, 17 years old. I'm biting my tongue. Um, OK, we've got to talk about that because. As I said to you before our podcast chat, I had to share my experience because this is honestly true, everybody. I was um, on Twitter sort of just browsing and then this all happened. I saw Kalida's message, haven't slept long, making phone calls. And all I saw was a plane. Imagine no seats in this. I would say like a military plane. It was huge and crammed with people. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, like what is going on? It's when... You know, when time is so fast, you can't even remember your own thoughts. So I just remember staying on Twitter for an hour going, you know, how is this being sold properly? Like making sure people are safe, you know, and you said earlier you had um, you used your global network. And that's beautiful thing about football. But this is talking life and death here. We're not talking about, oh, go to a networking event for a drink and hopefully collaborate on a project. We're talking life and death here. I want to bring in this name, Craig Foster, somebody who I've admired. I've been following for a good four to five years of like human rights and using football again. Put this way, clearly, I didn't even know he was a football player. I just knew he was so passionate about helping refugees and human rights. I'm like, so when I saw he was involved, I don't, if you don't mind, I want to bring him in the conversation now. Like, how important were those communications with him? Bearing in mind, everybody, he was in Australia. So we're talking Afghanistan, Australia, and I assume other people from around the world, like, how vital was that to, to make things happen for your own safety, for your players' safety, but also like, as I said, like I've shared you my story of my perspective and how you've inspired me in that leadership role. But I'd love to talk about your experience on that plane and the weight off your shoulder that you knew you were safe and you knew you're going, if I'm correct, you went to Australia, right? So could you just paint the picture there of that side of the experience and also bring in Craig's name as well, please, of sort of working with him um, to, to make it happen? It was, um, it was, 
I think it's 24 hours operation. Um, when when the country collapsed and and I started calling my my teammates and my girls in Afghanistan, the national team, and I was sending voice messages, hearing how they're doing, um, and asking them with the hope that they were. I was hoping that they already left. So I am the only one who is not following the news and all of a sudden found, found out that the country collapsed. So I'm shocked. Uh, that was the mindset I, I was when I was writing. I was hoping that they say we are safe. We knew that it's coming. We already left the country. But it was opposite. They, I received uh, voice messages, voice notes. Our players crying in saying that this is end. Um, we don't see any hope. Uh, we are going before they come to us, to our houses, because our identities are exposed. Our names are everywhere. They are coming to, to us and they are have started searching the houses. They will kill us before they come to our place. We will kill ourselves. And that's how I found those the, the teammates, the players in that, that situation. It all started like a snowball all I did, because you, when you have a huge network, you don't know who to ask. And as you said, we have a network of people that is not about rescuing someone in a debt and life matter, but it's a network of people when you go to events and you, when you have the connections and networking. So it was so difficult to understand who can in my network save someone's life. So I started like I started sharing um, using my platform, sharing my thoughts, how I feel about my team, about my girls in Afghanistan. It it kind of like it went so viral that all my friends and people that I, I was in, in connection with started connect con contacting me, and that one like the first people were um, uh, FIFPro Players Union in Europe, Jonas, who is an amazing person, who is also my mentor. Um, Kat, um, Kat Craig, uh, human, uh, humanitarian lawyer, Kaylee Lindsay, the coach herself, and, and amazing other women and girls from around the world, and also amazing people around the world who contacted me and asked how they can help. In, and that's how we started a group of seven, six, seven people. Um, and it continued working. 47 highways, um, um, 24 highways, like continuous work because we had the people in Australia, um, like Craig Foster, uh, Nikki, and, and we had also uh, Alison, uh, one of the lawyers there. And we had a team in, uh, in Canada. We had a team in the UK, team members. Um, and we had also, I was in Denmark. So all of us were spread around the world where the timing was different. So so we were working continuously without sleeping, a lot of coffee, and who is there to, to eat food. And of course, I was in contact, continuously in contact with the girls where they, I had to kind of mentor them, help them to become and not give up. But it was fantastic support because I was the middleman. I was the player number 10. <laughs> well, I had to play as a defense and forward sometimes. So I was in the in the center where I I was working with the team outside, which was fantastic support. They were so patient and very calm, like Craig Foster and so many other amazing people who helped us and made that possible. Within a few hours, a few days, we managed to get Australia 
Craig Foster himself is a, is a great person. He has a great network. He is an advocate. I admire his work. And that's how the network and connections to the government and his the push that he did and also the others and the media support and how we use our platform all came together and, and saved those girls, um, which we are very proud today. And, and Craig Foster is and, and other people continue continuously been helping um, the team that they're in Australia. Craig Foster himself is very much involved in, um, with uh, Melbourne Victory, one of the clubs who is supporting the team in, in terms of footballing and in coaching, which is fantastic. Absolutely. I want to just always get back to the listener of what they can learn from this. And I hope that they are learning from this experience, learning from your leadership. But you've just touched on it there. Like you said it, it sparked to get the network involved, like reflecting now and looking forward. How important is your personal brand and using your platforms right? Because if you have those together, that's how you can spread a meaningful message. And I don't mean just this example. I mean anything in the football industry, but I just want the listeners to learn of like why it's important to build a, a good, positive personal brand because you just never know who's watching and you never know who's listening. I just love your thoughts on that, please. I think as like the players, advocates or any human being, we do have now tools and platforms, no matter how big or small it is, it's very important how carefully and consciously we, we use that. Um, and also, for the cause, what is so important for us and why it's important and how we can advocate. Someone is so much into, for example, environments, how they can use their, like, their platform carefully and consciously to support in race awareness. Someone is really interested in, in, in humanitarian causes. It's all about how can we play our role in this world and use today the platforms that we have, which we didn't have, which our father, grandfathers didn't have that access. So we have that privilege and the, the opportunity, how best we can use in a positive way to support in each other, but also may participate positively in this in this world to make our world better place. It is so important, and, I, and it helped me a lot. Absolutely, and I hope people are really taking that point on board because it's so so important, and it's something we're in control as well of what we post, what we say, and what we share. Now, I want to talk about. Now, Girl Power, because we were already connected a few years ago with Athens Women's Football Summit, and I just love you to like share your vision with that. Like, what is Girl Power about? But what inspired you? I think I know what inspired you through the question I've asked already. But just to emphasize, you know, to the learners, like what inspired you to set up this whilst being the captain, whilst the extra responsibility? I'd just love your thoughts on that. When I left Afghanistan and, and came to Europe and left in different refugee centers, um, it felt how it is life as a refugee, um, living in a refugee center, not having an identity, but also not having um, kind of like not knowing the future, what is waiting for you, which is quite stressful. And, and it's so depressing being stuck in a situation where 
you you wake up in the morning you you don't have a reason to wake up in the morning or you don't have a goal just waiting and that's how it make an impact a negative impact on mental mental health people um so i i use i started again the power of sports and informal education which is a lot life skill educations in like leadership team building and social side and soft skills to support them the women and girls um, living in the refugee center because I was also going through depression. Um, I was also suffering from deep depression when I was living in refugee center. Um, in order to help myself, but also other women in the refugee center, um, I started using the power of sport again because that's how it helped me and it helped other girls in Afghanistan. And, and I was, I told to myself, no matter where I am in the world, I am connected with my purpose. Of course, they have taken my, like all the things in my country that I was connected with my country. And I am, I feel abundant living my country. But what they didn't take from me is my purpose in life. And that's like participate positively in this world to, to make an, a positive impact. And that's how I started using sports. When I got permission to stay in Denmark, I established the organization uh, Girl Power um, to use the power of sport uh, and informal education, life uh, skills pro uh, programs to, to connect uh, women and girls from different uh, cultural backgrounds um, with main focus on how to on how to build a bridge between two divided societies and communities. Because when we say in Europe, what is happening right now around the refugees, it, like I said, the refugees are quite political. Um, like the topic is quite political, um, especially in Denmark, when like people don't really talk about it. And it's so much negative, so much focus on negative stories. And that's through Girl Power. We want to highlight and showcase the positive side of the positive impact that refugees and their beings can make in the societies in Europe. Um, so that's what we are doing. And we have started in Denmark and now we, are, we have we expanded in around Europe. And we are also doing some activities in Middle East. Amazing. I'm putting you on the spot now. Your definition of purpose. Purpose is something that connects with every human being has it and it connects with our values, what is important in our life, why it matters, um, what we can do beyond stand, like waking up early more, at morning, go to school or go to, like what is it beyond the practical stuff we do? What it is that we really, it matters for us and it can make an impact in our society, in our community, even in a little family. It's not always, when we talk about purpose and value-driven people, people sometimes say, oh, but it's like, it's so big. But it's not. Like, we can always be, have a purpose and, and be value-driven person. It makes change in a little community and society where we live. It's all about what it matters in this world for us and why and how can we make an impact. Absolutely. And I want to touch on another thing. And you're educating me now. And I'm being really truthful. If I word this question wrong, tell me. And this is important because you're teaching me now. 
With regards to experience, and you mentioned it briefly, of being a refugee, could you educate me and the listeners of like where we can help or where is the direction we should go to help people? Because I just look at people as people. I don't look at your refugee and I'm a very privileged person in the UK doing a podcast show. So could you just educate me of how we should look forward? You said it's very political when people when we think of refugees. So that's why I said, tell me from I word the question, but how can we change the narrative so it's positive again, but like solves this issue at the same time? I don't mean positive, like everything's easy and go, no, it's positive that it's it's going to the right direction. It should be to solve this, you know, people problem. And I mean, people, me being accountable. So again, I hope I've worded this okay, but I want you to teach me and the listeners of where should we look forward of solving this refugee problem moving forward so it's we can all just live the lives we want to live i think what the thing which is very important and it comes from every individual human being um is the thinking our thinking like we have unconscious bias every human being and especially when it comes to people of color people who we don't identify ourselves who doesn't look like us and then we kind of like put them away from us. Then the people who look like us, then we feel like, okay, that's acceptable. We that I am um, using the example of current example in the world that's happening right now in Europe, which is a humanitarian crisis, where it's really sad where we say another human humanitarian crisis in Ukraine, where there's so many people are losing their life, their families, their their home, their being displaced they're forced to leave their country which they don't want to and and then we had the exact the same back in afghanistan where with humanitarian crisis many people were displaced many people were killed what we say is like um selective empathy um around in western world in a way it's i don't know it's conscious or unconsciously it's putting people and like people's life above each other. It's telling, it's giving the message for me as a, as a, is it a, a refugee living in Denmark or some of the, my girls who are in the UK, that your life doesn't have a value or has less value than a life of a, someone who looks like us, but not, not like you. They're also refugees. They also left their countries. The system and the people, like when we talk about humanitarian crisis, we are talking about standing for humanity or human right. We should like, we should think about how equally people can get support because it's people. It's not because of their color or because of their look. How can we make sure that people are treated equally? Because they are traumatized. When I see when I see the pictures of people from Ukraine leaving their home, we connect much more because we know like the pain of that, like their journey. And that's why we start like talking about it. We feel sorry, but our, our empathy, it's not selective because we don't look like them. No, they deserve this. We know that it hurts. And we say how governments, how media is, is talking about it. And so, we see the, the level of discrimination is really high now. It's speaking up and it's like it's publicly 
people in medias come and talk about talk how they are discriminating people because of the color um refugees it's not their problem it's not our problem that we become refugee we were forced to that situation we had no choices than surviving and and people's behavior shouldn't be selective towards us to tell us like you deserve that life and this person deserves to have an open hug and arms because they are looking like us and that's what is happening and i think if if any human being is advocating for human right in and like for people for humanity it should be equally for equality equal treatment um not selective um treatment why a system for example when a government announced and say that oh uh, for example right now what is happening the crisis in ukraine the refugees from ukraine really need um, mental health support any equally any other refugees who are escaping from war need that support why the system should traumatize keep traumatizing people for like long process of waiting and and processing their visa situation or paperwork situation can the system work equally for humanity not for selective human beings like for one group of human beings that's what i'm saying and that's what i feel so sorry and how we can actually change this selective um uh empathy but also our thinking because it's the fear our people the fear that drives people to do certain things and certain behaviors which is discriminating but also it is um it is actually um it's not only discrimination but also it hurts people uh that feels like my life has no value then because of my color wow um <clears throat> lost for words um with regards to selective empathy i love that point but i want to go a bit deeper and it sort of relates to today's podcast topic like including myself here and if, if anything more in a little way with regards to human rights as a topic do you feel it's a topic that isn't talked enough where we take our own self-responsibility on it not saying me as an individual can change the world instantly but taking those micro actions with our own environment and then hopefully our behaviors our actions can educate others i just love your thoughts on that side of using our environment where we live so where you're listening to this guys right now how can your human rights with regards to what you're saying with selective empathy is a, is a, a step forward to again solving this people problem like you said all the refugees it was it was a they had to do it there was no choice so I just love your thoughts on that. And gosh, you're getting me out of my comfort zone now. Um, but hopefully it can help from an educational standpoint. I think it all starts with a conversation, a communication. I'm not attacking people or criticizing people. I think it's all learning and unlearning. There are certain things that the history or the way that they how the cultures or the mindset and societies were built. There are so many things that we like our generation who has education who has access to global access through digital platforms we are sitting in our homes but we have access to so many countries information to so many countries and so how can we unlearn some of the the thoughts that the culture 
told us, which we don't accept it anymore, but we, because our humanity doesn't, I always say that the humanity, the word humanitarian or humanity doesn't really belong to one continent or doesn't belong to one group of people because it looks certain color or has a certain color. Humanity is, but that word belongs to everybody. And our, and it can start with conversation. It can start with understanding, learning, but also having a dialogue, um, giving people, giving people the space to express themselves, how they feel uh, when they see the situation. If, for example, a refugee from Afghanistan or Syria or Palestine feels so frustrated because of this selective empathy, the selective behavior, if they are frustrated and they want to express their feelings, I think the most important thing is to put ourselves like defense aside and give this space to that person, hear how they feel in, and why it's happening and together like learn how to do it better next time. And that is how you communicate and advocate in your little community from like your family, family members to, to friends, to the network. And it goes it's beyond that. And I, I think what we always say that is uh, we are a drop in the ocean and each drop make an ocean. And uh, so that's like we do our part and, and that's how we how the world will function, work. I'm smiling now because it relates to right at the beginning of the conversation when you dressed up as a boy playing football because you lost that self-identity and it relates to the refugees. They need their identity to share their thoughts and be themselves, to hear them and listen and, meaning my side, stop talking and acknowledge of what they're experiencing. So, wow, what a conversation. I want to bring it back to your career now. And I want you to think hard, like, what are you most proud of? with regards to your career development looking back right now? It's so difficult to say I'm proud of, but I am happy and satisfied uh, with my choices in, in regards to every decision I took. For example, when I took the first decision to work in Football Federation of Afghanistan as the first, very first female employee in their history to becoming the board member and opening the doors of opportunity for more women and girls to have the career in in football to to working in, in different like grassroots and and an elite uh, level of football and, and bringing the learning but also making an impact in the organization or this um, the companies that i was working with uh, in and where today i am having my own organization where it is i'm hoping and i really hope that it will create a lot of impact and making a lot of impact in the societies, every society and community we touch. I hope that the storytelling and the impact of part and active participation will make an, a positive impact in the communities. The other side is right now I'm working in Right to Dream um, group. Um, they have Right to Dream academies around the world. Uh, and also having a football club in Denmark, FC Norseland or FCN, uh, where I am the manager for purpose pl uh, project platforms and I'm working in purpose uh, department. Uh, and we are trying our best to, to change the narrative, but also 
bring the soul of football back where it's taken. It trying our best to to learn, but but also to communicate it to the world how how to bring back the soul of football, which right now is become it has it become like quite commercialized and people's people's life is quite it's especially if the players are quite um, they I feel like most of the time and I feel sorry for for the footballers um, especially the male footballers where because of the commercial and the, a lot of monetary around that it has taken a lot of choices a, the voice from the players um, and also the coaches because the game has so much impact that somehow lost that the thinking about human being who will perform on the pitch but also off the pitch um how to take care of that human being and that people um that's what what, what we are trying to understand and also build something with the hope that both the, the football is taken care of but also human being is taken care of I think that's so important what you say, but also at the same time, the football industry is this 24-hour machine that just doesn't stop. Uh, but as humans, we have to. I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview, Khalida, where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. Have you provided, you're the definition of inspiration from this conversation, by the way, but from a career development standpoint, for the listeners to put one thing into action so they can develop as a human being, what three qualities would you give to them with regards to working in football in general? Like, what would they be? I would say being open-minded and give a space for yourself to learn and unlearn. Sometimes use your voice when, when you, you think or you know that this, this is the moment that will make an impact. And that will make a change because that's what we need. We need to bring the soul of football back. We need to bring the change, um, a positive change. And the other thing is, if it's if you're working in an administration or you're playing on the pitch, you equally have a, add value to football. And, and your voice can make and your actions can make an impact. Um, think about how can you make an impact beyond just like your daily job? How can you use that understanding from football and bring it to your community? How can you provide the opportunities for your community to what you have learned? Absolutely. Well, I hope people take that. I think you've just triggered it. For me, just then, of the power of your voice. I think that's so important with your actions, of course. But no, thank you for those. Out of interest, how can people interact with you on social media? We're like, where's the best place to go to interact with you? If they want to hear about Girl Power or follow uh, the Girl Power, they, we have our website and we have also our social medias, Girl Power Organization or girlpower.com, uh, org.com. Um, I am in social media with my name, Kalida Popal. I uh, can be searched there. But thank you so much. For all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website with regards to this podcast chat. Kalida, I just feel so humbled right now. And it's been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Truly appreciate it. Wow. Um, 
normally at the end of every podcast episode, I'm always with high energy. I have always something I take away from this podcast show, from every person I interview. But with Kalida, I have to be so honest with you guys listening in right now to conclude my podcast that twice I choked up, twice tear in the eye because hopefully you can see this show's all about your development, all about helping you grow in different perspectives of your growth. It's not just, in my opinion, get the job and succeed in the career you want. I always aim this podcast show to hopefully see different perspectives of the sports industry worldwide and see from different cultures. It's been one theme I've learned from my podcast experience that if you have a better understanding to your best ability, of course, to be mindful of different cultures, be mindful how things work in different countries from sport ecosystems to how certain sports influence cultures, elevate to a point or to a point be a fight. And a question I said after with Khalida was how she copes always fighting. Like, and she nicely said, like in a, in a really polite way, it's natural, but you can tell it takes energy. And I think for me, what I am so humbled from this podcast conversation with Kalida is how she used football as a tool for change. Like there's so much out there going, football can help society. Football can be really a language to bring people together. It's the same passion from a male or female who attend a game and enjoy the experience. But learning from Kalida's standpoint of her journey, it just at times makes this conversation really bigger than what pursuing a career is when you have the right purpose behind what you want to achieve. And I think I really admired what Kalida has achieved. I actually told her in 2021, she was the most inspiring person of my life from like taking a learning lesson. I always like to model people from the sports industry or certain people who can elevate my self-development. And she was that year with regards to her actions. So I would say there's so much you can learn from this conversation if you really listen to it. Um, For me, the biggest takeaway I've learned is being so much more mindful of my education from learning from others. Like the part when she kindly explained from a refugee perspective, it just opened up my eyes of being so much more mindful, so much more grateful for what I have in my life, but also trying to get an understanding of where my actions can support or hopefully influence the change. Because seeing something on the television from a news perspective or radio perspective or even a podcast perspective, I haven't experienced it. And that's what I want to share in this conclusion of this podcast. When you learn from others, it's a great opportunity to be mindful and a great opportunity to make behavior changes within ourselves. So in this case, myself looking forward and where I can help in any way possible. But from a sports career development perspective, I hope you've just got a better understanding of your identity and why it's vital. Not just important of what job you want to do, what industry sector you want to work in, but actually your own identity really showcase the best version of you But knowing what your identity is, is vital and not being afraid who you are and what you do. 
I've just learned from Kalida when that right from the beginning of our podcast show, when she had to change her identity and dress as a boy to play football as a man, it just shows how grateful I was. I can just be myself and play a sport and elevate my skills on a sports field. Because as I said already, in the classroom, it was a struggle for me. So I hope for you, never forget the power of your identity because it can be such a helpful tool for you moving forward in what you want to do and what impact you want to make in the sports industry for your personal development but also to the future of the sports industry so on that note really put into place at least one learning lesson from Kalida which you can apply to your sports development now and make it happen now as always at the end of each podcast episode I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker Kalida said think about how you can make an impact beyond your daily job through the power of your purpose and your voice.